0: It's important to still our hearts before we receive God's Word, and so let's remain standing as we look at today's preaching passage from Esther chapter 7. Uh, this is continuing our series in Esther, and the story that we're looking at today is actually from chapters 5 through 7, uh, but I'll just read out for us chapter 7, 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. So the king and Haman went into feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, what is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold... I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, "'Who is he, and where is he who has dared to do this?' And Esther said, "'A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman.'" Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen, and the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the place uh, to the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, will he even assault the queen in my presence, in my own house? And as the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance of the king, more o- said, moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose words saved the king, is standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, hang him on that, So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. This is God's word. Please be seated.
1: As we come now to the Bible, let's pray together. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a speaking God. We pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, through your Word, you would speak to us today. And we've been singing, uh, Lord, about. Uh, Coming to you, for your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Help us to be receptive to your word as we come to this um, moment. I pray, Lord, you help me to speak with clarity and make what your word teaches plain and easy to understand. And we pray, Lord, that it would make a difference. We are aware of the great needs of our world. And would you transform us this morning so that we can do our part to make a difference to the world around. Give us your word that we might speak it to others. In Jesus' name, amen. The Gospel Pattern of Grand Reversal. That's what I've called the title for the sermon this morning. Uh, Today is Valentine's Day. And Valentine's Day, of course, has a particular message to it of love. And the Gospel has a particular message to it which is related to love as well but are they the same message about love is the gospel of Valentine's Day love the same as the gospel of Jesus's love and if it's different how is it different also this week some of us have become aware of one particularly famous Christian leader who died some time ago whose behavior, it has become clear in the past, was terrible. How is it possible to go to church Call yourself a Christian, call yourself a Christian leader, talk about love, and act in a very loveless way. Today is Valentine's Day. It has a message about love. What kind of love? And is that the same as Jesus' love? Love? the gospel pattern of grand reversal. I want to show you how this story here introduces us to that pattern, connect it to the New Testament, and then show us how that gives us all a choice uh, this morning. The story here that we just read out is the end point of um, a developing story that we've been following through the book of Esther And uh, the great enemy of God's people, Haman, has been plotting against God's people. And he's put together this this genocide against the Jewish people. But, But not only that, Haman has a particular anger, a particular pique, a particular frustration with one individual, namely Mordecai, who's refused to bow before him. And so Haman has constructed a gallows upon which Mordecai will be hung. And pleased with this revenge, he rushes over to the king to ask him permission to kill Mordecai. But in God's providence, and remember the book of Esther is all about the hidden hand of God throughout it all. In God's providence, the king that very evening cannot sleep. And because he cannot sleep, he decides to have read out to him... The records of his rule, now think about this, if you ever one evening and one night find you cannot sleep, perhaps a good technique would be to have the minutes of a committee meeting read out to you. (laughs) That's basically what he does. Motion made, seconded, 8-4, 4 against, you know, send him off to sleep. And as he's dozing there, listening to all these minutes, you know, page upon page, he, he comes across that someone rescued him from death, Mordecai. And he says, what was done to reward Mordecai? And he finds nothing. Nothing was done. Who's in the court right now? Well, it's Haman. Haman's in the court. Haman's come to kill Mordecai. Bring Haman in and... Haman comes in, the king says to Haman, what should be done for the man in whom, with whom the, to whom the king delights to honor? What should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Haman, of course, thinks it's himself. And so he constructs this fantasy of a, of a thanksgiving parade, all for Haman. Haman. With people saying, This is what will be done for the man that the king delights to honor, and riding on the king's horse, and streamers, and balloons, and marching bands, and all the rest. And to his devastation, the king says, Do that for Mordecai, and you lead the parade. And uh, Haman rushes home and tells his wife and his friends. And his wife and his friends think, "Well, this, if that's what's happened, then your doom is at hand because your enemy has been, exalted before you, and you're the person who has to do to it. Do that, and then, and then, in God's providence, the hidden hand of God throughout it all. That God is in charge, even when He doesn't seem to be, even when He's not named. He is still in charge. In God's providence." He is then called to the third of the feasts that Queen Esther has put together because Esther is trying to drum up courage to ask the king to rescue her people. And Haman comes into the third of these feasts. The king asks Esther, what what is it you want? Come and actually tell us. This is the third of these feasts that she's put together. And finally the queen has enough courage and she asks the king, tells the king the issue that there is a movement against her and her people, not just to put them in slavery, otherwise she wouldn't have bothered the king, for the king needs these more and more slaves, I suppose, but actually to annihilate them and to kill them. Genocide. She tells them that's what's going on. And the king says, who is this? Where is he who would dare to do this? And then, at the sounding of a bell, as it were, the queen says, A foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. (laughs) Haman, the whole thing has turned around, this grand reversal. The king goes out in wrath, walks in the garden. Haman is trying to plead for his life with uh, Queen Esther. And the king comes back in and finds him, I suppose, kneeling before where she's sitting on the couch, trying to beg for his mercy before Queen Esther. And the king says, will he even molest the queen in my own house? And as the lip, the words escape his lips, an attendant covers Esther, uh, Haman's head with some blanket or other covers him as indicating that he is as good as dead and another one says did you know that Haman has put a beam outside, a, a pole outside to hang, a gallows outside to hang Mordecai on and the king says hang Haman on that what a reversal and what I want to show you is that the gospel has a pattern of such grand reversal. And if you don't grasp that, your understanding of love will be a Valentine's understanding of love, not a gospel understanding of love. You won't have courageous wisdom, and and more importantly, you won't have life. And it is the failure to grasp that gospel pattern of grand reversal, which is the heart of every religious failure, every superficial apparent Christianity. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously put it, when Jesus bids a man to follow him, he bids him come and die. Let me show you how Jesus teaches this. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 8. There Mark chapter 8 and verse 22, just briefly outline it for us, show you that this is something that Jesus teaches. Jesus heals a man who's blind, but first of all, he um, doesn't entirely heal him. He can't see fully, uh, verse 24. He sees people like trees walking. He doesn't see completely clearly, and then Jesus fully heals him. That's an image of Partly getting the love of God, but not understanding this gospel pattern of grand reversal. And then verse 27, he's with his disciples, he asks them who people say he is, and Peter says, you are the Christ, and Peter partly gets it. But he doesn't fully see because then later when Jesus, verse 31, teaches that this Christ must suffer and die on a cross and rise again, Peter rebukes Jesus. He doesn't grasp yet the gospel pattern of grand reversal. And so Jesus teaches them, verse 34, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the Gospels will save it. It's a grand reversal. It's a pattern. For Jesus, but also for Jesus' followers. Paul puts it like this in Galatians 2 verse 20. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me, who loved me and gave himself for me. I no longer live. In each of us, there is an I, a me. A self that is battling for prominence and preeminence to be the ruler of your life. And the gospel pattern of grand reversal is if that I you wish to save, you will actually lose your life. That I must die. And there must be another ruler. I no longer live. But Christ rules Christ lives in me, who loves me. Real love, he gave himself for me. You see, the story we have in front of us this morning is, is basically presenting us with a choice. Here's the gospel pattern, but it, it, projects, it is presenting us with a choice. And the choice is Haman or Esther. There's Haman. He's a high up official, he's got lots of money, he's he's a powerful man. But for Haman it is I I I me, me, me. What I want, how I get power. He has a family, but it's it's my rule, my power. My family. What's good for me? And Anyone who threatens that? He casts them away. And there is a Haman in every corrupt religion. There is a Haman in every marriage that is struggling. What I want from this marriage. What I want from this relationship. I'm not getting what I need. Haman but if you wish to save your life you'll lose it and then there's Esther now Esther is certainly not perfect no way she's very hesitant to risk her life she tries not to she only does it when Mordecai challenges her to do so and she cannot gather enough courage to do so on the first feast with the king nor on the second feast nor on the first day of the third feast. It's not till the second day of the third feast that finally she gathers the courage to risk her life. But still, she's putting her life on the line for other people for the purpose of God and in doing so she saves her life and that's the choice that is before every single one of us today Haman Esther which is it to be? You know, there's an even more amazing part of this story. And as I was studying it, when, it, when I saw it, I was just blown away, frankly. So, in the sometimes obscure word of Bi- world of Bible translation, there's, a, there's a, a debate as to how to translate uh, this uh, phrase, hang him on that, and the gallows. Uh, some translators um, say instead of a gallows and hanging him on it, that, uh, that he was impaled on it because the Persians certainly did impale people. And uh, those translators would say that Herodotus, who's an ancient historian that um, describes uh, much of the Persian Empire and talks about um, the Persians impaling people, and therefore here it should be translated impaled, the Hebrew Behind this, it, it, it just, it's just a, 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 a beam of wood. So we don't know whether it's impale or gallows from the Hebrew. So they go to Herodotus and say, he said impale and therefore it's impale. But interestingly, in Herodotus, the Greek behind the word that is translated in English, impale, he uses different Greek words for that. And one of the Greek words he used for it is the Greek word that is in our New Testament Translated as crucify. And actually, as I say, this blew me away. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, known as the Septuagint, the ancient Greek version of the Old Testament, when the king said, hang him on that, in English it would be crucify him. They said that about someone else, didn't they? If you aim to save your life, in the end you will die. But if you lose your life for his sake, because he was crucified for you, You'll save your life. And if on this Valentine's Day you're wondering where love is going to come from and how you'll know the love of Christ and the love of the people around you, his eternal love, irrespective of your present circumstances, Well, there's a choice, Haman or Esther, the gospel pattern of grand reversal. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you that you were so loving that you sent your Son and that he was crucified for us. But Lord, there is a pattern and that pattern is that we pick up our cross and follow you. That Lord, you must be Lord. Lord, we confess before you that sometimes We don't feel your love or know your love, that sometimes we don't sense our connection to you. Lord, could it be that we're trying to run away from sacrificing ourselves for you? We're trying to put ourselves back in charge of our lives? Lord, on this Valentine's Day, help us to embrace your love, the real gospel of biblical love, and to pick up our cross and follow you as Lord of our lives.
0: For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.